thankful this morning that because of Jesus, nothing can separate us from God's love. Because of Jesus, we get to run right in. Because of Jesus, shame and condemnation in our life do not have to exist. Because of Jesus, would you give Jesus praise this morning? Yeah. this morning like God is far away I assure you he is not and I assure you that if you are in Christ that you just need to run right in and you need to run right to the father this morning and stop letting shame and condemnation and guilt keep you from everything that God has for you you're in the right place this morning no matter where you are or what this week has looked like in your life you are in the right place this morning this is home and Jesus is for each of you. Praise God. This one reminds you as you leave this morning, you can put your tithes and offerings and continue to worship through your giving in our tithe boxes, or you can continue to give online. We're going to do our declaration this morning, and then I'm going to read pastor's text for him. It's from Acts 3, 1 through 10. Acts 3, 1 through 10. If you want to turn there momentarily, I'll be there. Let's declare these things over this room this morning. Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. And we declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Acts 3. Acts chapter 3, 1 through 10. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, asked an alms? And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I have none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto them. Lord, we thank you this morning for this house. We're thankful to be able to be gathered here to lift up your name. We're thankful for the word that you've spoken to us already. And we thankful for the we are thankful this morning for the word that you have placed in our pastor's heart. And I just pray, God, that we 
are ready to receive that word, that we receive it, Lord, this morning, that you give, Pastor, this morning a, a freedom and a liberty and an authority to speak the word of the Lord this morning. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's good to see everybody here. It's good to see everybody worship for the Lord. And what a great spirit that we have. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Amen. He is worthy of that praise, all the praise that we can give him. Today, I want you to know that as you look at the book of Acts chapter 3, it's a very familiar passage of Scripture, especially among those of us that is Pentecostal. And we've heard a lot of different messages preached on this passage of Scripture, but I'm going to preach it a little bit different than I've ever seen it before. Or I've never even heard it preached the way I'm going to be preaching it. And I want you to be very sensitive to the Lord. Do not get your feelings hurt. I'm going to be getting into some areas that's going to rub some of our doctrines and some of our thoughts and some of our beliefs a little bit hard. It's, it's kind of a hard message, but listen to the intent of my heart and don't go out here and jump out and say, well, Brother Miller said this. This is without hearing the whole message. I don't like to say something and they don't allow me to finish the thought. So please hang in here with me and we're going to get into the word of the Lord. Last week in our open address for this year, 2022, we talked about how that our country's in trouble and the only hope of its survival is revival. How many believe that? How many believe our nation's in trouble and the only hope for survival is revival? Amen. Without repeating what Jonathan Kahn said in his message, we know that we're living in a time that there is a spirit of bail that's hanging over our country. And no doubt we are facing some of the most hideous things that you and I have ever been faced with as a country and as a people and especially as a church. We have all the isms that we are faced with. Everything from Marxism to racism to wokeism to globalism to postmodernism to totalitarianism, transgenderism, socialism, communism, and the list goes on and on and on. These are the things that we are faced with. We have Black Lives Matters, Antifa, woke and other people groups that is fighting the way of the American life. As Jonathan Kahn said last week that it's the four left is out to remove God's influence from the land and God's people from our culture and then when they remove that, that's talking about removing you and I. That's what he said. It's almost like that the four left get into a room and they try to figure out somehow how to make everybody miserable, put everybody in debt, make their neighborhoods horrible and then try to disguise it in equality. I don't understand how it's working, but a lot of times they seem to succeed. Cities and societies under such government tyranny are collapsing. States are going broke. The economy is falling. Crime rate is skyrocketing, and education is failing. The four-left agenda is not only to be pushed through political arena, but it's also being pushed in the educational system where the demonic, and let me say it again, it's a demonic, critical race theory material that's nothing more than political propaganda. The education system is bowing their knee to the federal government, and they're not teaching our children, but they're out indoctrinating our children. How can they be so successful? How in the world does this ever exist in the good old land of the United States? How did it get here? What has happened to common sense? Where has common sense gone? And what has happened to that which was practical and true among the American people? Who would have ever entertained the thought of defunding our 
our police and having social workers show up to crimes to try to reason out the differences. Can you imagine a little tiny social worker walking up to a break-in and their job is to help the property owner understand why that the perpetrator is doing what he's doing? Can you imagine a little old probably 100-pound little lady coming up and saying, now, sir, I want to try to explain to you maybe why that this man's breaking into your home. This man has lost his job and he's desperate and he don't have any food. And if you would just kind of pay him a thousand dollars or two thousand dollars, I'm here to be the go-between. Maybe if you just give of your substance, he'd go away and he wouldn't harm your family. Now, can you imagine anybody coming up with such a stupid, idiotic idea? Come on, somebody, are you in the house? I'll tell you what'll happen. What'll happen, there'll be a social worker that will be robbed, raped, and killed. Because I want to tell you, these people are not robbing people because they're hungry. They're robbing people because they're thugs and they're thieves and they're wanting something for nothing. And anybody that doesn't believe that, if you don't believe what I'm telling you is true, then you're not looking at all of the job wanted signs and windows and the job wanted ads in the newspaper. You're not getting on social media and seeing that there's hundreds of thousands of jobs out there waiting for somebody to come by and pick it up. As a matter of fact, there are companies giving a $1,000 sign-on bonus just to come and go to work. And how can there be such a massive divide between the American people on topics that is so far apart that even common sense is reality cannot even comprehend where we're going? It's due to the rise of a social media and a news broadcasters that no longer report news, but they push narrative and agendas from the four left causes. Journalism is dead, my friend, and there's no longer what we call news broadcasting. Social media fuels rising in unwarranted certainty, dogmatism and intolerance of viewpoint diversity and non-confirmatorial information. What do I mean by that? They're not interested in truth because they have bought into the lie of postmodernism that teaches all truth is objective, whatever you want truth to be, that that's what it is. If you believe that to be true, then it's true. Come on, somebody help me preach. Their information doesn't have to have confirmation for it to be valid, real, or true. As long as they believe it to be true, they can be, it, it's true. And so they write it. And then they try to oppose that idea on everybody else as truth. Social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, actually reward users for sharing information popular with peers, particularly extreme liberal views, while at the same time, they punish users for expressing unpopular, conservative, spiritual, more moderate, and less emotional viewpoints and opinions. As a matter of fact, if you share certain spiritual things, or if you be even get a little bit conservative on your Facebook and give an opinion that you think is right, you better watch out. You might end up in Facebook jail. Or you may have you be blocked from Twitter. This cycle is what they call self-reinforcing. It's called brainwashing. This is where they're seeking out views that only enforce their own views. Therefore, they will only circulate. They will only broadcast or share or distribute only that which enhances their cause and conforms to their beliefs. So you know what that does? That silences everybody else's opinion but theirs. What is so scary? The biggest majority of those 35 and under follow social media and their information, and they pay little to no attention to any other outlet. So this tells us a whole generation is rising up that only have the viewpoint of what social media gives to them. 
Come on, somebody. And matter of fact, the generation looks to this generation looks to Google, one of the most narrow-minded liberal companies that holds to a four-left agenda, and they look to Google for their fact-finding. Matter of fact, if you say something, I've said it, they'll say, well, I'm going to Google that. Well, Google it all you want to Google it. Can I have an amen? Can you believe that we got a generation that thinks Google is the final authority of all truth? And that Google's information is always wrong and it cannot always right and it cannot be wrong. I don't care what you Google, you Google and I'll look in the Word of God and we'll see which one wins out. Can I have an amen? Oh, I'm about to preach here in a minute. I'm feeling it going up and down my doodads right now. How do I show you say you're getting political? No, I'm not. I'm being I'm preaching truth here, and we're gonna get to it in a minute. So what's happened, social media, along with the support of big tech, continually get by with this. And if they do continually get by with this, our country is doomed. Amen? When Congress and the Senate tried to rein in Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for them silencing conservative views, their reasoning was this. Well, the conservatives or ever who done this, they have violated company, company policy, and we find their inf information to be disturbing, harmful, critical, or racist. Let me stop right there and just let me repeat something to them. Well, I find that their information is harmful, disturbing, critical, and racist. No viewpoint outside of theirs is tolerated. And as a matter of fact, they even are going for us to try to push that anybody that goes against their thinking in America that have a different point than there are terrorists. That's where it's getting to. They believe you're doing America harm but not embracing their humanitarian beliefs and their one-sided viewpoints of racism and their so-called benevolent socialistic viewpoints. Not only is the Spirit trying to take over America, I hate to say this, yet we're seeing it operate in the church. Oh, God, this is what disturbs me. We see it manifest itself and operate openly even in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have pastors, leaders, whole congregations, and denominations buying into the world's philosophy. We've seen it. We're watching it. We have Christians in support of the critical race theory due to them being brainwashed by the four left because they played the race card. Folks, the four left plays the race card on everything. It's race, 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 race on everything. And to go against critical race theory, it means that, that people are afraid if I do that, people are going to me, label me racist and I'm not racist. Don't live in fear. Live in what's right. Stand up. Rise up, O church. Come on, somebody help me preach. And when it comes to immigration problem that we're having in America, the four left will accuse you of being non-compassionate, racial, and having white supremacy mentality if you do not agree with them on open border policy. Amen? But, we talk, but they talk out of both sides of the mouth at the same time. While they call the immigration policies humanitarian and compassionate, yet they think nothing about families being split apart, dropped off into different communities, and children put into cages, and women being raped and seduced and kidnapped for self tra self tra sex trafficking by the thousands. The whole immigration thing is about exploiting a whole race of people just to use them for their cause and for their future power by manipulating them and brainwashing them for a vote. And I want to tell you, these people are being brainwashed. And when they get done with them, they're going to discard them as fast as they said that they loved them. 
Can I have an amen? As a matter of fact, I want us to view our text and see the New Testament church combating this same spirit and fighting this same devil that these people, that, 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 that we're fighting in our land today. They fought it back then. This morning is sermon number one in a series, a mini-series, a little series that I've entitled Rise Up. Here within our scripture text, we see a lame man that was laid at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Now, you're going to get upset at me just for a little bit, but it's going to get better. He was laid there so that he could ask alms of the people that entered into the temple for worship. It's one thing for a tragedy to strike and the church have to respond to a need, and well, we should. But it's entirely a different thing for a church to have to take someone to raise. Everybody with me? This man was not only laid at the temple to beg for money, but he had laid there for years. He had, it had become his lifestyle. His whole life was dependent upon the compassion and the generosity of the people. The Bible says that he was born lame, and from his youth he was laid at this place begging daily. Most commentaries agree, put him around 40 years old. I don't know if they got some kind of a study of, a, of, a, of, of some kind of a writing that they have found that in, but most of them said he was 40 years old. His whole concept of life was begging, which usually develops into a mindset of entitlement. This man not only begged for money, he expected it. All right, now come on now. He took on a victim mentality and believed that the people that he was asking and begging from actually owed it to him. How do I know? Because the Bible tells us, verses 3 through 5, when Peter and John went to the temple, this man asked, hey, you gave money? How many has been asked for money all over this town? Well, of course we have. And Peter looked at him and said, look upon us. And he did. And then it says that he, gave, he did things in which Philip said, expecting to receive something for him. Did you hear that last part? As he looked upon Peter and John, he expected to receive something from them. He was expecting them to get a little bit of a chunk of change and throw it in the offering plate. He was expecting, hey, guys, you're Christians. Hey, are, 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 you know what really, really gets me upset as for somebody begging, look at me and say, you would owe it to me. You're a Christian, and if I don't give, I'm no longer a Christian. Come on. The Bible says in verse 5 that he expected to receive something from them. Day after day, he would sit there begging as if the it was the duty and the responsibility of the church to take care of them. As a matter of fact, there was nothing strange for multitudes of people to be packed in and around the church begging. And let me say this. The problem of it is, the biggest problem of it all is not the beggars, but we as a church have caused that to happen. Now hang with me. Folks, there are times that the church is to help people in crisis. We are to be a benevolent people, a compassionate people. Amen? We are. But never are we commissioned to take ownership and control over someone's life and enable them to be beggars. God never intended for the church to take people to raise unless it was a widow or an orphan. And that is undefiled religion if you take care of them. But they even had all kinds of rules. They had an age group. that if you, yeah, for, uh, To take care of a widow, she had to be at least 70 years old. And if she was a widow, if she couldn't have had other family and you take care of her. She had to be a widow without any family at the age of 70 for the church was to give to her. Pretty tough rules, isn't it? And we got all these rules in Scripture that we don't want to pay attention to. 95, they say, percent of the people that are begging, if you give them enough to supply their need for today, they have no plan for tomorrow. 
The only plan for tomorrow is to be back on your doorstep begging or to make their rounds or to be on someone else's doorstep begging. They just live from day to day, no plan, no ambition, no direction of what to do whatsoever. They say that 90% of benevolent giving in church circles is given to the same 95% of the people. In other words, they make their rounds. You got this food bank over here. You got another one 30 miles away. You got another one 15 miles away. You got another, and they know them all, and they travel it, and they hit every single one of them. And the benevolent giving is given to the same 95% of the people over and over and over and over and over. A lot of times they'll get so much food, they'll go out and sell it. Amen? And they won't give it away, but they'll sell it. Amen? The church has to break this mentality. Well, it don't matter what they do with it. What matters is I just got to give. That's wrong, and that's not biblical. You are to be a good steward of your money, and you are to know where to plant your seed in good ground. You are responsible for it. Can I have an amen? Boy, I got about 10 claps on that statement. We got to be spirit-led, yes. But we got to know where our money's going and if it's good ground that we're sowing into. As a matter of fact, they say the church is one of the number one institutions that gives bedding and aiding to criminals, sex traffickers, rapists, and convicted felons, and child support neglectors. That they have nowhere else to turn for survival. They turn to the church, and the church don't know who they are. They just keep giving and giving and giving. They don't try to do any fact-finding. They just throw them some bucks. Only about 5% of the people really benefit from benevolent giving, which is people who fall on hard times, and they are the people that need it the worst. The people that need it the worst, you don't even know who they are because they never ask you for it. They, they got integrity. They don't want to ask you for it. They're embarrassed to ask you for it. It's odd to me that we'll see beggars all over the town and we'll throw them a five here and a ten here, but a little waitress is trying to take care of four children by herself. That's a bad day and we'll get mad at her and throw her change for a tip. It's disgraceful that the body of Christ has lost its senses. Uh, am I preaching all right this morning? I'm getting nasty right here, and I feel a spirit of meanness coming on me. Those that's in the food lines, not all of them. I'm not going to categorize everyone together. You know what I'm saying, the biggest percentage when we say those kinds of things. We don't link everybody together, but the most, the biggest percentage of people in food lines this Saturday most likely have been in it for the last 20 years, and most likely their parents were in it before they were. Amen? It has become an enablement and a mentality. You could give some people a million dollars today and just in a few short months or a few years, they're going to be back begging again. And if we're not careful, what we call benevolent giving is nothing more than the concept and the philosophy of the modern day movement of socialism. Hang with me. Socialism sounds good to the carnal ear and it looks good to the physical eye. Socialism is disguised in religious piety of compassion and giving and caring and servitude and helping one another out. But it's nothing more than theft, a Robin Hood mentality to take from those that have to give to those that don't have anything. Its plan and its scheme is to take out completely the middle class people and impose poverty upon the majority of the people so that the majority now will become dependent upon a few elite group and the government. 
It is disguised to make the rich become more rich and the poor to become more poor. Why, why could anybody ever, ever benefit from that? What's well, according whether you're rich or whether you're poor or whether you're middle class? Now listen to me. In giving to them, instead of it bringing them up, the lower class, to a middle class status, by the taxation that they're wanting to refer to, it brings the middle class down to the lowest level and it creates a society like you see in third world countries. That President Obama in his book says that everybody ought to be equal and that America ought to come down in its standard in order to be able to live its standards like the rest of the world. I got news for Obama. I believe in the greatness of America. I believe in the greatness of God. And I believe America is great because it's a one nation indivisibly that stand under the principles of God himself. We are a godly nation. We have been a godly nation. And as a result of it, we have been blessed. Oh, I know you say, well, you're preaching Democrat. I'm not preaching any such thing. I'm preaching what's really happening. Socialism is designed to take away, the, take away and penalize the worker and those that make good decisions and reduce the, the society into becoming beggars. The goal of socialism is to make the working force a servitude of people to the upper lead in the government. What does the word servitude mean? It means more than just being a servant. It says the state of being a slave or completely subject to one from someone of more power. That is what they're after, power over your life, complete control. Come on. They want to stop out the middle class, make everybody poor, make the upper elite just a handful. In other words, control you so they can live like kings and priests and have all power and control over you. Amen. Anywhere democracy fell to socialism, the middle class had to be destroyed. That was the first thing that had to be taken away. America is under siege. Everything that has taken place with COVID-19 and its rules, look at it. What is it doing? It's doing nothing but destroying the mom and pop and the small businesses of America. They cannot keep shutting down. They cannot keep doing what they're doing and meeting all these stipulations. They don't have the money and the power. So what's happening? Big tech is taking over. There's a plan for big tech to take over the world. And the only ones that will be able to survive is those that support and align themselves up with this thing called Uncle Sam, big government. All others who will not bow and obey to the brothers, big brother's mandates and the governmental policies, guess what's going to happen to those companies even though they may be big and successful? They're going to be fined. They're going to be penalized. They're going to be denied contracts. And they'll have their grants rejected. So they'll destroy them. The conservative mindset has to be portrayed as evil, uncompassionate, uncaring, and any view that doesn't support their ideology is considered as an act of terrorism. So therefore, eventually, what you're going to see in America, if it keeps going the same way that you're going to see, if you hold to conservative views and you're a Christian, you're going to have people knocking on your door and they're going to arrest you for being a terrorist of American culture. The line, the smokescreen of socialism is the rich will take care of the poor. The rich giving their fair share. Yeah, and you know what's going to happen? You're going to work your tail off for it, and you're going to get nothing out of it. This automatically sends a message. Now, listen to me. Why does that send a message when they tell you that? This automatically sends a message to the poor that they cannot take care of themselves. They're not broad enough to make their own decisions, and it automatically makes one superior over them. 
It makes them look to be dependent upon someone else. Socialism actually promotes and teaches superiority. That there's someone more superior. They talk about us white supremacists. They're the ones that's got the problem. They think they're better than we are, smarter than we are. It destroys one's own self-esteem and it creates them to have an inferior complex. The very system that is supposed to lift you up, it tears you down and it puts you into bondage. It has a religious look to it, one of compassion, giving, sharing, helping, but it's nothing more than a smokescreen. We as a church need to quit functioning as a socialistic mindset when it comes even to the operation of the church. Nowhere do I see Jesus. Now, before, I'm going to go through a, a series of this. And before I'm done, I'll clarify some things so don't get mad. I have never seen Jesus going around paying anybody's rent. You can't find it. Our example, Jesus Christ. I've never seen him pay anybody's rent. And matter of fact, nowhere do I see Jesus standing at the gate of the city passing out 50s, 100s. It's just not there. As a matter of fact, I can't find one blessed scripture where Jesus gave a dime to anybody. Boy, does that not challenge our theology. Jesus didn't go around with a pocket full of money and say, oh, this is your problem. God's money is your problem. If I pay your electric bill, everything's going to be all right. Here's 30 bucks. Nowhere in Scripture did we see that, oh, you know what? Peter needed some tax money. You know what Jesus said? Go fish. You know what that was a sign of? Go back to your old lifestyle. Work for it, bub. Jesus didn't give it to him. Jesus just told him where to get it. And Peter had to go get it. He had to put forth an initiative. He had to be responsible. Man, it's quiet in this building today. Amen. He told Peter, Peter, you got to get your tax money. The only way you're going to do it is go fishing, bub. And he was a fisherman. That was a sign to go back to your way of work. Get your money. Jesus did not give it to him. He gave him the ability on his own to achieve and get it. I don't see Jesus having long lines in front of him and him handing out goodies to people. You know, I don't see him putting the disciples in a closed room and saying, okay, guys, we got to really get a benevolent ministry going. we got to open up a food bank. Hey, guys, you know what? we got to build massive benevolent ministries. These people are in really need. He done none of that. And I said, okay, God, is it wrong to do that? Of course it's not wrong to do that. When the Spirit of the Lord begins to deal with you to do certain things, he's in, if he's in it, it works. But that is not the main part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me show you some things. I'm in no way advocating nor am I telling us that we should not be missional and benevolent in our ministries. We at the Palace of Braves has given thousands upon thousands upon thousands of, of, of bucks away to different things. And we're going to continually do so. But neither should our benevolent ministries endorse and enable an entitlement mentality. We cannot allow ourselves to give to beggars that never have anything to ever change from their lives. We should never allow people to be dependent upon the church for their survival. 
And never should we allow people to accept their handicap, their birth defect, and their set of circumstances to define who they are. Now watch. This is where we got to get to. Did you just hear what I said? We should never allow people to accept their handicap, their birth defect, and their set of circumstances to define who they are. Never should we allow people to think that they are stuck and there's nothing that they can do where they're at. That's where they're always going to be at. We should never allow people to think that. Neither should we allow people to think and believe that they are lesser, dumber, and not equal to someone else just because their circumstances are different. Never should we allow someone to think that they will never succeed or, or arrive or achieve and become great due to where they were born or the color of their skin or the lack of their education. We should never allow people to wallow in their self-pity and remain bitter and hurt and wounded and discouraged to the life of the Spirit because of some kind of experience that they had. This man should have never been allowed to beg at the gate for 40 years. I want to tell you, I don't know how old he is, but if it's even 30 years, he should not have been allowed to beg there for 30 years. That's not a testimony of what God can do. That's a disgrace to the church. It doesn't speak well of a church for them to give that same man money for 40 years every day, every day, every, enabling him, entitling him. Come on. Let him live a life that is far beneath anything that God had for him. God had a better life for him to be a beggar than for him to be a beggar. And the church enabled him to be a lesser than instead of a greater than. Can I have an amen? Sometimes truth is hard. Sometimes there's tough love. Sometimes people think they need one thing when they need another. And it's the job of the church to stand in the gap and be the church and rise up and offer them what they really need. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise. Does it speak well of the church for them to give that same man money for 40 years? It sounds noble. It appears to be graceful, but it's an indication of a socialistic mindset of the church. It's a lot easier to throw a few bucks a man's way than it is to give a man really what he needs. It shows that the church wasn't really, really wanting to get involved and pay the price, give him what he actually needs. So every day they just threw him a few bucks and eased their conscience, and it gave them a sense of affirmation. Oh, you need a little bit. Okay, I've done my part. And nothing ever changed for the man. Didn't have any answers. All I had is a couple tens or a five or a 20. I eased my conscience. I affirmed myself. I've done my part. And every day that he lived, he lived as a bum. Outside of the church. Begging and people embraced it. And people enabled it. People catered to it. And people gave to it. getting tough it's showing really how much of a spiritual socialistic mindset we really have giving ourselves a false affirmation making us feel good about ourselves without giving a man what he actually needs because we don't want to take the time to find out what it is he needs and get involved it's time that we become willing to pay the price to go an extra mile, rise up and be the church. It's time that you and I engage. Even if his lameness was to never change, even if he would remain lame the rest of his life, there's still hope. Shame on the church that allowed him to lay there for 40 years begging and allow his lameness to define who he was. 
Just because he's defined lame does not mean that he doesn't have anything to offer to society. He's bright. He could be a he 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 could be a bright, brilliant man for all as we know. He could turn governments. He could be one of the greatest evangelists in the world. But just because he was lame, he allowed his set of circumstances to define who he was. Every single one of you, we're all birthed with some kind of deficiency or some kind of, of, of weakness or some kind of hindrance in our lives. And if we're not careful, that which is weak in us will hide and it will, it, will, it will put a shroud over everything that's important and powerful in our lives and our focus will be on the negative and we can't see the positive and we'll define ourselves as beggars and for the rest of our lives we'll cheat the kingdom of God and ourselves out of living a good life and being productive to a society. There is no junk in here. There is no hopeless case sitting in these pews today. There's no such thing as I can't in this place today. You can in Jesus' name. Woo! There's no such thing as a loser in the palace of praise today. You are a winner. There's no such thing as a captive here today. You, under the authority of Jesus Christ, you are free. Shame on us to allow people to come in that's got problems and every once in a while we'll just throw them some crumbs that'll affirm ourselves and just leave them in the state that they've always been. I know some people won't allow you to minister to them, and that's part of it. You lose some of them. But those that will listen, there's victory on the horizon. I want to show a couple of tapes just for a second, then we'll go on preaching. Steve, just roll them. Growing up as a child, I would be quite envious of everybody else around me who had arms and legs, including my brother and sister at times. I was born without limbs for no medical reason, and I hated God. So why did he give me less? What did I do to deserve that? Today, I stand before you without arms and legs, but a very strong man because of the bad days in my life. You will have good days and you'll have bad days, but you will always learn something more or something new, and you will learn more overall on bad days than good days. You will learn more about yourself, you'll learn more about relationships, you'll learn about life and principles, and it'll build your character. But I tell you, there are some times in life where you fall down, you feel like you don't have the strength to get back up. Do you think you have hope? Because I tell you, I'm down here, face down, and I have no arms, no legs. It should be impossible for me to get back up. It should be impossible for me to get back up, but it's not. You see, I will try 100 times to get up, and if I fail 100 times, if I fail and I give up, do you think that I'm ever going to get up? No. For as long as I try, there's always that chance of getting up. And it's not the end until you've given up. If you didn't go what you've gone through, you wouldn't be who you are today. You may have arms and legs, but unless you know three things. Number one, who are you and what your value is? Number two, what is your purpose here in life? And number three, what is your destiny when you're done here? If you don't know the answers of any of those three questions, you're more disabled than I 
I've gone from a life without limbs into a life without limits. I'm here to tell you just because you got something physically and mentally uh, wrong going on in your life, it does not count you out for the greatness of God. And just because you're lame, that does not mean that you don't have something to offer. Just because you may be blind does not mean that your ministry is over and that you can't succeed because of a head. Your blindness does not determine your success. Are you listening to me? If you don't believe me, L.S. Cooper was one of my mentors. He was 80-some years old when he died, and he traveled all over the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had the Bible, the entire Bible, memorized up here, and he could quote any scripture that you wanted him to quote. He was a man that was of great, a great power. He had revivals everywhere he went, and he'd get under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, him being blind, and he'd get off course a little bit, and he'd be standing over here staring, and the, and, and, and the congregation would get to cheering, and he He'd stop, and then he'd say, Thelma, come and get me. I've lost the anointing. She'd come and get him and put him back behind the uh, pulpit. And then he'd start preaching, and he'd get to preaching, being blind. He'd come right to the edge, and everybody, ooh, and he'd be all over that edge, being blind, preaching the gospel. His goal was to preach somewhere every day of the week. He said, I almost made it. I only lost one day, and that was on Christmas. I couldn't find anybody who wanted me to preach on Christmas morning. I want to tell you, he was a powerful man of God. There's not another powerful singer in this church than Gwen McGarity. And though her eyesight has fell in her, there's such a boldness and anointing that's rising up in that lady that I cannot, there's a greater anointing on her today than when she was younger. I'm here to tell you, don't count yourself out because there's a malady, because there is some kind of a lameness, maybe some kind of a, a problem, a handicap. I'm here to tell you, you're not made by junk. God has got a plan for you. He'll work that plan if you're believing. Amen. Oh, I got to hurry. I hear Jesus telling the disciples instead of to go do all these big and benevolent things, go preach the gospel. That was the commission. Preach the gospel. You know what God's doing in the last days? I want to tell you what he's doing. God is renewing a church paradigm that's not just focused upon prayer Worship and giving, they're, they're there, and, and benevolence, but it's on the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's power in the gospel. There's life in the gospel. Amen? The gospel is our answer no matter what. The gospel has got to be preached and be at the forefront of everything that you and I do. I love Luke 4 and 18 where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's the only way to preach the gospel to the poor, to preach the deliverance to the captive, to preach the recovery of the sight to the blind, to set liberty to them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Five, four out of the five things that God told him to do was to preach. 
that he was to preach and blinded eyes would open. He was to preach the lame would walk. He was to preach, guess what would happen? The captive would be set free. It's the preaching. It's not me saying, oh, I got to come up with $5,000 for that woman's surgery. It's for me to preach. It's for you to preach, to tell them the good news. Amen? There's one thing that the enemy hasn't counted on when he turned the culture of America, and it's turned. How many knows you're living in a different culture than you were 30 years ago? But there's one mistake he made. He actually created a hunger in the midst of the remnant by doing it. You know what the enemy has done? You talk about wokeism? Well, I want you to know the enemy has woken up the sleeping giant, the church. <laughs> Soul winning back on a massive scale all across this country. Because people are hungry and the starvation for God in America was created by the four left. Everything they'd done backfired on them. They're not drawing America away from God. You know what they're doing? They're causing America to run back to God. Everything's crumbling. Everything's falling apart. Everything's chaotic. And people by the masses are saying, what in the world's going on? They're leaving states to get out from the tyranny of a government that has just gone ludicrous. And they're trying to find conservative states to where they can live in freedom and harmony. And you know what it's doing? It's turning these people's hearts to God. The enemy has overplayed his hand. It's a new day, my friend. And if there's ever a time for the church to rise up, it's now. Peter and John come to the gate. The man asks, hey, you gain money? You gain change? And Peter, something snapped in him. He just kind of turned to him and said, you know what? I don't think today. Amen? It's been the same people given over 40 years. Now he just kind of expected what Peter and John's probably gave to that man before. Something snapped in old Peter and Peter said, not today I don't. He said, if, and let me say this. If the church can only see past the surface and see into the depth and understand what it is that the people really need, it wasn't money that that man needed. That man didn't need money. He needed to believe. He was a beggar. His problem was his begging caused him to have a lack of belief in order to become a better person. Peter said, you have bargained for more than what you think of here today, buddy, because I want to tell you, I'm here, silver and gold have I none. Money's not your problem. I say unto you, rise up and walk. And Peter just made him do it. He walked over and grabbed a hold of him and lifted him up. And you know, when I broke that down, to arise means to leave a lower level to go to another. And then to rise up means to increase. To walk means to leave a position for another which suggests progress. So therefore, Peter says rise up simply meant increase and progress and go to a higher level. Rise up. Frankly, I'm tired of hearing what God's doing all over the land. I'm ready to see him do it, ain't you? Amen. Are we ready to flow in the anointing of the Holy Spirit? 
Are we ready to take charge around here? Are we ready to preach the gospel? Are we ready to tell people the truth? Are we ready to engage and rise up and quit living in a socialistic viewpoint, affirming ourselves and scratching our egos by throwing a few bucks and thinks we've done our, our, our job? No, sir, it's time to be like Peter. It's time to pay the price and house the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when people come in, it's for us to preach the gospel, proclaim healing in the name of Jesus. And it's not up, up, up to us to have the results. It's up to God to have the results. But if we'll do our part, God, I promise you'll do his part. The church needs to rise up, allow themselves to be open channels, open vessels, submitted vessels, as Brother Zach said earlier, to the presence of God, that God might work through us to help some beggar see the light that he don't have to live like that. And he don't have to stay in that kind of a frame of mind that there's hope, there's healing, there's health, there's wholeness at the palace of praise. There's nothing impossible to them that believe. Would you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. This man gets up, and man, he heads off, leaping and praising God, and headed towards the temple. Somebody said, man, where are you going? He says, man, I've been outside the temple for 40 years. I want to see what it's like to be inside that temple. Amen. And he went leaping and praising Almighty God. I like that scripture where it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. And the Holy Spirit just put this in my heart this week. There's a difference between giving of thanks and thanksgiving. I thought, okay, what's the giving of thanks? The giving of thanks is when you're sitting around Thanksgiving meal, and you got a big turkey sitting there, and you give thanks for that which God has provided. You know what Thanksgiving is? Thanksgiving is coming in and being thankful before you ever even received or laid eyes on the things in which you hope for. God said to me to tell this congregation to begin to offer up Thanksgiving and begin to get in your prayer closets, begin to establish through the reading of the Word this year. God's setting us up. And he said, if you'll begin to proclaim truth and preach truth and not cow down to the system of this world, don't worry about the results of how they're going to be. Just trust me and begin to give me thanksgiving. Give thanks before you ever see it come to pass. Give me praise for that which is to come. He said, I'm going to pour my spirit out upon this place. And you're going to see the beggars and the beseechers become some of the most prominent people of the church, giving glory and honor, leaping and praising and magnifying the Lord. You who seem to be the less fortunate, you that got the greatest uh, potential because God ain't through with you yet. And the people that think that they've arrived, they've already thought that they're, they've arrived, so they're not looking to go any further than what they are. When life is ease, we quit growing. But when life is hard, it's a growing opportunity. And you and I are standing here today at the crossroads to say, I've had enough. The culture's not going to sway me. I'm going to preach until the day I die. They could call me a terrorist. They can call me a white supremacist. They can tell me I'm uncompassionate because I want to tell beggar truth. I'm going to tell him I'm not enabling your begging. Very few times have I ever gave to a beggar because I've not believed in it. I've always asked the Lord to leave me, and I was in Nashville, Tennessee. Me and my wife, we were going to Cleveland, Tennessee, to a, a board meeting that I'm on a board over there for the Home for Children. And we stopped 
several times, and every time we get out of our car, here come these beggars. One right after another, I turned my back to him. Sorry, brother. Sorry, brother. And one, at one place we stopped, a young little girl was sitting over there. She had a bag on her lap. And she wasn't asking for nothing. She just sitting there. I walked in the store, and when I walked by her, the Lord said, give her so much money. I sat there, and I said, okay, Lord, I don't know her, but you know what's good ground. And I walked out, and I knelt down beside her, my wife being with me, and I said, young lady, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Tears come in her eyes. She said, I've been a backslidden child of God for years and years and years. My dad was a preacher. Just began to tell us the story. And she said, a couple of nights ago, I gave my life to the Lord. And she said, I'm just sitting here trying to figure out how I'm going to get a motel room. I'm on my way home trying to make a better life for myself. She didn't have to beg. God already had her set up for people to give her money. I believe to this day that girl's somewhere serving the Lord, magnifying the Lord. I'm here to tell you I believe in benevolence, but I also do not believe in enabling people to be less than what God has called them to be. God has called every single person in this building to greatness, success. We may not all prosper in the same light lucratively, financially. It ain't about the power of money. It's a power of life and freedom and peace. It's about the life of freedom. It's about a life that's not bound. I want to tell you, my freedom, I wouldn't take nothing for it. Kent Miller is free. Oh, I got a back that gives me problems. Got a hip that goes out. They say if I don't gain weight that I may die. I'm so skinny. Come on, you know what I'm saying. God looks down at some of you old people, and age has a way of harming the body. It has a way of setting you back. My boys want me to do things. I said, boys, you don't understand how old I'm getting. Oh, come on, Dennis. All right, you wait. It's just around the corner. One of these days, I'm going to be able to laugh at them. I hope I live long enough to just remind them. Age has got a way of, you know, setbacks. But that don't mean we're counted out, that we don't have anything to offer, and that the small things that God allows us to do is not powerful, because I want to tell you something. Power dynamite is a small little container, but it holds a big punch. Some of the greatest things that you older people have that you don't understand is your testimony your light, your example, the way that you have blazed the trail for me. I look at a brother Crutchshaw, uh, uh, Crutchshaw, Crutchfield. I look at brother Crutchfield and sister Crutchfield in their 80s and they're marvelously serving the Lord. But it's not only what you are doing, it's what you have done for me that you don't understand. The example, the testimony, the legacy, the the things that you have blazed out for me has been so incredible 
and great rewards will come your way as a result of it. And you're not through yet. I still believe that their greatest days are ahead of them. Amen? Don't let your lameness, your blindness, your birth defect, the stereotyping that's been done over your life, your whole life, you dumb, you're stupid, you're ignorant, you'll never amount to nothing. And you've lived that way your whole life because someone told you that. And you got on Google, who is Kent Miller? He's dumb, he's stupid, he's arrogant. Google said, I'm dumb, so I must be dumb. Quit looking at what everybody else said. See what the Word of God is saying about you and who you are in Christ. I'm so proud of DJ. Give his life to the Lord here some time ago. Oh, he's a young convert. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to drive himself crazy and his mom crazy for a while. That's normal. But the change I've seen in his life, the example that's already beginning to just shine through a little bit. You think that's great. Wait till you see where he's at three months from now. Because it's an ever work in progress. I refuse to allow DJ to be go back to being a beggar, spiritually speaking. An outcast. Someone who don't belong. No, he belongs right here in the family of God. Amen. And whatever it takes, this preacher's going to be there with him to help him in his walk, to enable him and remind him and give him hard truths. He don't need to be babied and coddled. We don't need to be pushing a socialistic agenda by just giving them a few nights to get them to go away so we don't have to deal with them. We're going to rise up. And we're going to be the church and we'll be like Peter. Silver and gold, I don't have, bub. I can't pay everybody's bills. I can't pay everybody's electric. I can't pay everybody's rent. Not that we don't do what we can. But that ain't your real problem. It runs deeper than that. Let's find the root of it. Let's attack it. Silver and gold, I don't have. But there's one thing I know, and I do know who he has. I got the answer. In the name of Jesus Christ, God wants to take you to a higher level. If you're here this morning and you're beat up and you're beat down and you don't think that you fit and, and you've always just been the lesser and you're just hurt, you're sick, you're deprived, you're, you're, you're being fought, you're being challenged and you're, you're just tired and you're weary, I could go through it all. I want you to come up here because you know what? I know the answer. I'm ready to lay hands on some people and see some results. Amen. I want to see forward mobility. It don't mean you go from one place all the way to the finish line overnight, but you take your first step. You go to a little higher level, and then the next week you go to another level, and the next month another level, and the next month another level, and finally you arrive at your destination. Is there anybody here today that just needs the prayer of the saints? Anybody? I'm not going to beg. Anybody? Come on. See us. Give me some prayer warriors right here. Hallelujah. Is there anybody else? Wow, I must have done a good job preaching, made everybody become a believer. Is there anybody else this morning? Can I have some more prayer warriors, some women, please, and some men? Thank you, Sister Crutchfield. 
Every life has purpose. Every life is precious. Every life belongs to the presence of God and the kingdom of God. Pray and believe for them, whatever their need is. Find out their need. Then they think it's one thing, tell them, oh, I don't think that's your need. This may be your need. In the name of Jesus right now. God, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto these three in the name of Jesus Christ. Let their prayers be answered and their need be met in Jesus' name. God, let your Holy Ghost come upon them and the power of the highest overshadow them. Let the holy thing that be birthed in them be the very Son of God in the midst of their dilemma. Let them rise, O oh God, in Jesus' name. Rise above their circumstances and let them, God, be workers and leaders for you in Jesus' name. In the way of dismissal, would you give the Lord praise all over this building, give him honor and glory. God bless you this morning.